Okay, so I'm here again with Luke, and um, the topic of today's conversation is a really interesting exchange that happened on uh, Ryan T. Mullen's uh, Reluctant Theologian podcast. Uh, the guest was Matthew Cortman, and he had written a book called Saying No to God. And a bunch of us listened to that episode, and we all thought it was pretty interesting. And um, I guess I'll just briefly introduce that book um, by uh, uh, reiterating what Cortman said about it, like where he got the idea to do it. Because um, uh, if, if anyone has ever taken um, uh, a kind of intro philosophy class, they might have heard of the the Euthyphro dilemma. Luke, did you ever hear about the the Euthyphro dilemma? Uh, I've heard of it through you. Okay. Yeah, but I mean it's it's not it's not that it's not like common knowledge, um, but um, it's it's this thing in one of the Socratic dialogues where Plato has Socrates ask a young, pious man who's all up on fire to serve the gods. He uh, Socrates asks. Euthyphro, is, is the good good because the gods love it, or do the gods love what is good because it is good? So it, the, the question here is something like, does the goodness of uh, the good uh, come from the mere fact that the gods love it? Um, and you know, if they love it, then do they have a reason for loving it, or is it totally arbitrary? Or is it somehow that the goodness of the good is it like it's logically independent of whether the gods love it? It just kind of pre-exists uh, the gods' uh, decision to love it or not. And so, anyway, this obviously um, it it creates potential problems um, for uh, you know. Uh, uh, a certain view of like God and his relation to goodness. And a lot of people have sought to answer youth, the Euthyphro dilemma by saying that, uh, you know, God is the good and basically whatever he says and does is good in virtue of his saying and doing it. And that's your sort of divine command theory. That's the, that's the, the answer that's favored by many conservative Christians. The wrinkle that, that Cortman discovered is that in the Bible itself, this theory, which is so you know, popular among conservatives, does not seem to be supported. Because in the Bible, you have weird instances of, of uh, <laughs> you, you have weird instances of God um, acting out of accord with his own nature or God um, saying and doing things which by his own standards are not good. And then he later said, sort of says, oh yeah, you know what? you're right, I need, I need to be behaving like this, or I repent of, like, I regret that I did this, I will never flood the earth again, blah, 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 you know, yeah. you kind of, yeah, so Cortman kind of found out that um, the Bible itself does not seem to be operating on any of our principles of, you know, divine command theory, or, or the Euthyphro dilemma, and so we thought, well, what principle is it operating on? Uh, and, and the first example that he starts off with is, is Abraham and Isaac. And he says, um, he basically, you know, uh, he asks, you know, everyone says, well, you know, why, why would Abraham kill his son? 
how could he? Why would he? How could that thought even cross his mind? Cortman uh, inverts the question and asks, why wouldn't he? Uh, in, 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 the, in the Near East, the idea of giving your child to a god is by no means unheard of. Yeah, uh, this is the done thing with with respect to certain other gods, and he's still sort of learning about the nature and character of this god. And so he thought, well, oh, you know, he could have reasonably concluded, well, I guess this is just the kind of god that he is. Yeah, but Abraham doubts, or seems to doubt, according to Kierkegaard and, and other commentators, he seems to doubt that God really wanted Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And so, um, uh. Can this doubt be regarded as a kind of faith in, in, the, in the character of uh, you know, Yahweh, even where uh, uh, Yahweh's apparent command is, 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 is contrary to his sort of hypothesized character? Just you know, something like this. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any comments about like Abraham and Isaac? Well, so I'm trying to remember, is this is this podcast what started off like our giant multiple day conversation on Isaac and Abraham? And I don't know, because if there was, then I probably wasn't part of it. Oh my gosh. That was such a, like, that's what, yeah. Nate and I got pretty fiery back and forth because Nate was insistent on, I can't remember. I mean, I'll mischaracterize him if I tried to repeat it, but it was basically like, it was basically the idea like if god commanded abraham to kill his son if that really was like the literal thing that happened that's abhorrent you know and we and we got into this huge back and forth of uh like what is really going on in that story and that story is just something that's you can talk about it for a very very long time essentially and um yeah i don't it's it's more of a the way that i really view it to bring in my uh, new agey nonsense would be <laughs> is like I like to think about it in terms of the matrix with um, with Neo and Morpheus and there's a part where you know Neo's trying to figure out if he's the one and he goes and talks to the Oracle and she's like you know I'm sorry to tell you you're not the one and and he goes back with Morpheus and all the stuff that's happening and he goes to rescue Morpheus and he goes with Trinity and then Trinity is like going down in the helicopter and he grabs onto that rope and then like shoots the thing and he's being pulled up and he pulls her up and he rescues Trinity and Morpheus and he goes and looks at Morpheus and he's just, and this is after he like beats the agent, you know, John, uh, agent Smith and, and he looks at Morpheus and he's just kind of like, and he's caught in this liminal place of just like, okay, Morpheus believes I'm the one, the Oracle just told me I'm not the one, but I'm doing very one-ish things. And he's just like, what's going on? And, and Morpheus replies to him. And he said, Neo, at some point, you're going to learn what I learned a while ago, which is there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. And I don't know. That's, that's basically how I think of the Abraham story. <laughs> uh, that, that's incredibly apropos. Um, because, I mean, I guess, you know, what Cortman was, was bringing up was, you know, when, when should it be obedience? And, and you know, when should it, when should it be be questioning um, because you know in, in other places in the bible it's it's like um you know you know nowadays our sort of conservative well you know the the popular evangelical approach to the bible is just you know whatever it says is is right whatever god said at a given point in the scripture is 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 just to be obeyed without question 
And the characters in the Bible, as Cortman himself points out, as Cort as Cortman points out, uh, they they don't um uh, they don't seem to operate on that principle. They they pick a fight with God. They question what He says. You know, Moses questions uh, yeah. whether it would be right for God to kill the Israelites upon their having uh, uh, made the golden calf. Um, Lot. Uh, he's he's bargaining God down. If if they were if they were good evangelical Christians or believers, uh, shouldn't they have just obeyed God on the spot? Because you know divine divine command theory. I mean, or I guess to put it in matrix terms, the oracle is infallible. So yeah. if, the, if the oracle says it, then you might as well give up. But so if the if what if if your if your rule book for life is itself telling you that sometimes its own rules don't apply. What is the meta rule that is that is being offered here? Right. Or it's another riff that I would go off of. And I was kind of talking about this a little bit um, this morning in the box. But it was um, a lot of this is how I view. I mean, you can think about left brain, right brain, image, icon, but also law spirit. There is um, within like classical education, for example, there's the grammar phase, there's the logic phase, and there's the rhetoric or the poetic phase. And, and the grammar phase is where you, a lot of times by rote or through sing songs or through actions or whatever, you learn all the facts, you learn all these things that you're supposed to learn. And then the logic phase is you go in and you start to think about these things um, in a very structured, logical way. You learn logical fallacies, you learn, you learn the tools, the grammar, the it wouldn't be the grammar. It's the, the structure of the grammar. And then, but then the poetic phase is once you've incorporated all that, you've mastered that, the poetic phase is learning how to bend and manipulate and even break those rules to make it your own and to kind of transcend in the, the poetic is the, um, is the thing that plays harmoniously, harmoniously with the logic with the law, but transcends the law. Yeah. And I think, I think the, um, I think what uh, this book is getting at and what this podcast is getting at and what even Jordan Peterson talks about this a lot, wrestling with God, it came up in the Verveke conversation, um, you know, it came up in his thing through Genesis. There is, and even in any relationship, you know, Paul will talk about this, getting married isn't like buying a used car, your relationship with a spouse or a loved one or a father or a mother is, is constantly going to have things that break your structures of how you understand that. And that's inevitable and it's okay. But if you're too, if you're too locked into the structure, that, that thing, that's actually a bad structure. <laughs> You know, that that will create um, if 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 your relationships are not malleable and if your relationship with God is not malleable, it becomes inflexible and it actually has it becomes then it won't have what maybe uh, Nassim Taleb would call anti-fragility. Anti you know, it becomes it becomes ossified and hard to the point where it's easily broken. Yeah, and this is a great question because, like, is it the case that that God changes, or is it the case that, as, as we are so often taught to affirm, that God never changes? He is absolutely immutable. Um, 
And, um, you know, I'm, I, I am influenced by Chris Langan, who was in turn influenced by the process theologian, Alfred North Whitehead. And, and Langan's um, characterization, understanding of God appears to me, uh, similar to sort of Peterson's talk about, you know, you've got chaos and order. Langan seems to see God as a kind of uh, eternal dynamic or balance or dance between freedom and constraint. Mm -hmm. And that God is, um, he, he's, he's always, he's, he's, he's always renewing uh, reality and to some extension himself, because God is not wholly separate from reality. There's a sense in which he's transcendent, but also he's, he's imminent. And, and um, uh, so Langan says that God is always and everywhere a self-resolving paradox or ultimate reality is a self-resolving paradox. So yeah, I love that. Stasis and, and dynamism are, um, you know, they're, they are inter-acting. Inter, um, and so it's kind of like, um, yeah, it's like what Peterson says, there's, there is a, an, an order which stagnates and needs to be revivified. And then it's like, or he gives the example of the Harry Potter books where the, the Hermione and Harry and, and Ron, they, they have to break the rules in the service of those goals uh, for that, that the rules were initially meant to subserve. Mm -hmm. like spirit in which the law is written and you break the letter of the law to serve the spirit right it seems like that's very much very much the message of jesus um uh, it, you can you can read it as a kind of rigid template that's never meant to have changed but uh it, you know there's another uh way that jesus seems to be inviting you to read him which is he, he's He's, he's, he's telling you to regard nothing. You know, he's, he's telling you that not to regard the Torah as fixed. Or he says, I've come not to break the law, but to fulfill it. But it, the way he fulfills it seems a lot like breaking it, right? Um, and and, and um, so something like that, you know, Corman gives an example of, of, of Jesus uh, in, in uh, dialogue with the Syrophoenician woman. Mm. And Jesus... Uh, tells his disciples um you know that i'm come only to the lost sheep of israel and the, the disciples don't dispute that right and then he's in dialogue with the with the the woman and he says the same thing and she disagrees with him and he says See, that's right uh he, he, he said your faith your faith you have, you have shown <laughs> you know the depth of your faith by by rejecting what i said or by doubting me when I told you that I'm come only to the lost sheep of Israel, which is something that his own disciples didn't doubt. So was their faith as great as hers in that instance? Like that's that's one of the kind of paradoxes that that Courtman raises. And there's a lot there's a lot in his his, his dialogue about these kind of um, uh, you know exceptions to rules that prove the rules like it's it, you know it's it's kind of like tricky kind of self-involuting logic like so what's in i don't know i was just thinking as you were talking i like the the illustration of of um you know the syrophoenician woman where it's <laughs> you know i've just come to israel and she's like but even you know 
the dogs eat the scraps. And he's like, you know, that's right. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> um, or uh, so then I was thinking about Abraham and Isaac. And so then do you think there's a degree? Is there a degree to which then Abraham should have just been like, I don't know, Abraham, the Abraham Isaac story is such an interesting thing. Cause, cause it's a, um, one of my thoughts on Abraham and Isaac is, you know, I'm, I'm, I often say you can be right and be wrong, or you can be wrong and be right. And that's, that's, pro that's getting a, a lot of this nuance of like the spirit and the law. Like you can fulfill the law and be a Pharisee and you're right and wrong, or you can be wrong. Like, I think, I think our New Testament passage actually from this week's liturgy was the passage of like, um, if the Gentiles by nature do what the law demands, but don't have the law, then, you know, great, super. They don't need the law. They're doing the law. Um, and so in, in that sense, it's almost like if I were pushed, I would say that Abraham, Abraham, the whole promise of God the the image the symbol of god's promise to abraham was isaac isaac was the fulfillment of this promise to, to abraham but yet it's almost as if isaac himself could have become an idol to the fulfillment of god's promise and 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 he could have started to latch onto isaac as his hope rather than god and God just like, no, I can, I can make living people out of these bones, you know? And if you wouldn't have worshiped, the trees of the field would clap their hands. Like it's not, it's not dependent on you. It, it was, it was a lack of acknowledgement of the ultimate contingency, which even, which Isaac was the image was the, was the symbol of, but it needed to transcend that. And so maybe in Abraham's case, Abraham, in order to properly walk and know the path, had to be willing, had to truly be willing to go so far as to sacrifice Isaac. And then God's like, no, 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 no. And that's, that's where you and Nate really got into a disagreement. Right. There. Well, I think what you said is just stellar. Um, I, I think that's, that's fantastic. And you know, that, that certainly uh, conforms to my experience of, of having become a father where, um, you know, it's like, it's, it's like God gave me a son. And actually at first I wasn't ready for it, but in, in trying to do, what um, I, I, I felt God wanted and expected of me, you know, I, I, I obviously, uh, you know, came, came to, to love my son, you know, very much. In fact, probably more than I love God, right? But yeah. now the thing that I have to accept is that, uh, you know, my son belongs to God and, and, and that, that whatever love I, I have for my son, as great as it is, it's mm -hmm. not as much love as God has for my son. Right. And, and, um, and um, yeah. And then you said, so if, if, if Isaac, yeah, he's a symbol of the, the promise or the, the covenant or, or God's grace. Right. But, but if that symbol is, is, is made too much of, then it becomes a sort of idol in place of, of God. And right. Like, and I think, and this is where like, I don't know, I would advocate for a kind of non-dualism because I, I also think Abraham could have been the kind of person where, where he could have also argued with God and been like, no, this is your promise to me. This is your promise to me. 
you know, and, and I'm, you know, he could have done like, he could have done that arguing with God. He could have done the Jacob. He could have done the lot. He could have done the Syrophoenician woman. And that could have also been right. Like, this is where I think it doesn't become an either, or it's just like each of us has our own personal, particular relationship with God. And because each of us are utterly unique persons, the way that that looks is going to be inherently personal and impossible to formalize and normalize across the board. In, in Peterson's thought, you really get the idea that one never knows whether the snake is going to turn right or left. One never knows whether uh, mm -hmm. conservatism or liberalism is the better uh, uh, approach in uh, a given uh, situation. It's like neither, neither outlook or ideology is inherently wrong, uh, obedience or questioning, but the, the problem is the fundamental indeterminacy of never knowing which one is going to be the right solution in the present case. And if you, no. sort of, well, Maimonides, I believe, I read somewhere that he said that, you know, God is so completely sovereign and his power is so unconstrained that he is like a monarch who recklessly drives his chariot. And whether he turns right or left is not something that even he himself knows. Mm at the moment prior to his turning. Um, or, you know, in, in process theology, you know, you'd have the idea that, you know, of open theism, that, that the future is itself, it's, it's undefined. It's, it's neither true nor untrue that Athens is going to win uh, the, the sea battle. Um, and so in some sense, like, if even God doesn't know where this is going, at least over the longest of time frame. To, to use a sort of Petersonian idea, it's like uh, it, it 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 leaves it leaves the door open to this kind of absolute and fundamental uh, indeterminacy, um, which is I I think something that that classical theists would would push back against. Um, uh, you know, they conceive God as pure act. Is there's no you know unused potentiality in him. And yet they also affirm paradoxical things such as God didn't have to create the universe and there's your unused potentiality. So it's, it's like, um, I guess what I'm getting at is do we ever dare ask the question of whether some of the stories in the Bible could have been better than what they are? And that podcast that I invited you to listen to mm -hmm. but you didn't have time, Dale Martin said that you've got to take each of the gospels and and judge them as portraits of jesus by basically your own standards however dangerous that may be and he says you know when i do that i look at the gospel of john i say that he, he says I, I think it's good in some ways but jesus talks too much the gospel of john and um and um you know in the the story of abraham and isaac maybe nate would say it were better had Abraham not even obeyed, uh, uh, you know, to the extent that he did. He, 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 you know, Abraham obeys with, with, with doubt in his heart, but, you know, maybe he should not have obeyed at all. That would have been the better principle to steer us all over the longest of time frames. And, and you're saying that in your view, there is a way in which like an equivalent solution could have been provided uh 
and 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 you seem to be sort of agnostic on whether what Abraham did was optimal. It's well, well, well here's where I'll go like a little both end. I'm just saying I can I can posit like I can hypothesize an alternate yeah. scenario where. But but then I would also strongly emphasize like that that also that's like a um, what's the word uh, counterfactual like that doesn't exist that's not real. So so at the same time like this is where I say like I'm more liberal and more conservative than everyone I know because because I'm just like it, no it, it also had to be that way and there wasn't a better because that's what happened and this is where like I am. I don't know. I don't even, it's hard for me to pin down my thought because like even open theism process theology, I see aspects of that that are true. And, and I don't even, in a sense, I don't even believe in like a future. So I'm not like a causal determinist in that sense, because I don't think the future exists now exists. And I don't think the past exists now exists and all of that exists within God. And so in a sense, God is completely outside that, but yet that doesn't, and so in a sense, there is potential, but there's only potential from a certain perspective, because I also believe God is pure act. Like what God, I don't, the idea, and people will talk about this stuff a lot, but like the idea that God could have done something otherwise, I think it's just utter nonsense. Okay, right, right. So yeah, so the, 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 the modal collapse arguments uh, against classical theism, they wouldn't work on you because you would just say that um, it's, it's not the case that, that um, God could have refrained from creating the universe. Whatever he did, it's like he, he did have to do. And that is a route. And that... if he could have done it better, I mean, because this, this, God's perfect. If he could have done it better, he would have done it better. So he cannot be perfect and have a sub-perfect world. I mean, yeah. it's just like, and, and you could say, but yes, is it fallen? Yes, but, but that, is, that is from our perspective in this, you know, dimly dim veil for which we don't see, we don't see, we don't yet see the fullness. I mean, we do and we don't. I mean, we see, we see, we see Christ who is, who, who is fallen humanity. You, you see Christ's life and that is fallen humanity becoming real. And Christ is now fully real. He is the fullness. And we are living into that reality in Christ currently, but we're not there. And, but like, but that doesn't, but that doesn't make this not perfect. I can also easily affirm that, you know, like the, the creation or what it is, is perfect with respect to the purposes um, uh, that, that, you know, initially underpinned it, but maybe, you know, uh, uh, as, right as, for this as slight... eternity goes on the, the purposes the purposes can also ch change and a, and a new game is is played uh or is, is is or is about to be uh played but i guess the question is not so much the status of the question of whether the creation is perfect but whether our holy books are perfect um, is it revelation or is it the record of revelation? And the record is, is at least in some ways imperfect. But then I, well, I, yes, but, but here's the, I mean, this is where like the smuggling of, of a modernist vision can sneak in. So like such a pernicious, terrible bastard, because, because you like, when you say like, is it revelation? Yes, but so is everything. Everything is revelation. Like, 
vision, insight, salience, inspiration, imagination, everything is revelation constantly. And so if you're asking, is the Bible revelation in a way that it is like this static imagistic thing where there are these like propositions that can be understood really concretely and you're pursuing like this objective authorial intent within like this historical critical framework i would just be like well you just you fundamentally don't understand the nature of reality <laughs> and how things manifest to you and so like if if that's what you're going to be approaching it as i would say you need to go sacrifice that idol up on a hill and maybe God will provide a ram. Okay. You know what? You're, you're, you're doing some pretty cool riffs here. So I think I'm just going to add some fuel to this fire and, and read the, the point about pyro theology because mm. Cortman himself um, mentioned it. Yeah. And um, let me just read what I have here. Pyro theology, necessity of burning slash deconstruction albeit for Rollins the burning is an end in itself and Cortman didn't seem like well what because then it would pyro theology becomes itself your idol just the burning mm -hmm. right you know this is a little paradox there yeah uh, uh Moses was not like William Lane Craig <laughs> okay so 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 Moses picked a fight with God he questioned and argued with God should our faith be like his? I already asked that, but but let's talk about let's talk about the the pyro theology and the necessity of sacrificing idols uh, according according to Luke. Well, so this is yeah Peter Rollins of uh, like I've been pushing Peter Rollins in this little corner for a long time. Um, I think Rollins is really good, and the only other person that I know who's really into Rollins is uh, Jesse, Jess P. Um, and uh, we, Jess and I probably at some point should just have a conversation about Rollins because even at the end of the day, we, we end up um, seeing, seeing him a little bit differently because um, I, think, I think Rollins is fighting a lot of the same things that, um, that people who are struggling with this post-Christian meaning crisis world and even who would listen to this conversation about this book and think like should i wrestle with god what does faith look like how do faith and doubt work um like these are just such recurrent touch points and like everybody who talks to paul like they're just all over the place and then what i think rollins is doing is basically the idea he's he's really emphasizing this point that like anytime you build He's basically saying that like your map, your understanding of God, that has to constantly burn. And then out of that, a phoenix will arise, but it's, it's the revivication, it's the revivication of the father. Um, and it's the revivication, it's, it's the, it's that the right, he's, I mean, he's essentially, in my opinion, he's essentially saying like the right brain has to be the master or another way that I like to visualize it is spiral dynamics. It is a, it's, there's that T.S. Eliot quote that like, you know, through all your wanderings, you come back to where you started, but it's a new place or like no river you step into that's, is the that's same. The, the spiral, uh, uh, spiral epectasy of, uh, of uh, Gregory of Nyssa further up, further in. Yes. Or it's further up, further in. It's all the same thing. But the key with all that is, is like, depending on your frame, it can look like a circle. It can look like it's this repeated thing, but I think it's going somewhere. It's just, 
and and it's constantly to bring in like augustine is is a doctrine is a hedge around a mystery but that mystery you never get there you never you're circling it like it's the sun around which we orient and it's there but like the goal is not to go live on the sun the goal is to forever circle the sun, you know? And so it's a, I think where people get into danger, where like Abraham needs to sacrifice Isaac, or you're, you've constantly got to burn down your idols or Barfield saving the appearances is like when you, when you want to take that mystical center and concretize it, you just, you can't, you can't do that. Like Christ is the mystery into which we participate. And, um, I don't know. That's why I say like, you know, mysticism is intrinsic to true Christianity, you know? Um, And I think the last thing I would say where Jess and I are different is he just says Rollins will never, you can't ever make him uh, plan his flag. Like no matter what you try to ask him. And he, he seems really, he's, he's extremely hesitant to ever say what he thinks about something. And people take that as like, well, you're just being this fuzzy relativist, you know, where you just, you don't ever want to say what you think. Cause if you ask Rollins what he think what he thinks about something, and I'm a little different than this, although I understand his point, he would say something like, well, I don't know what I think about this and either do you, <laughs> you know, like we don't really know. So like, he's, he's basically just saying like, I'm not going to play that game. I don't think that that means, I honestly don't think that that means that in like, for instance, Rollins personal relationships, like his close friends, I'm sure they have conversations about what he really thinks about stuff or what he thinks he thinks about stuff, but he's just never, he's not going to play the ideological identitarianism game. You know, see, I think one of the reasons it's good to have this conversation with you is that you have you know, you're, you're on board with the idea that um, the principles of the game might be dynamic, that, that um, uh, obedience to God might be a sort of moving target and that, you know, uh, uh, interpreting sh- scripture is tr- tricky. But you also have conservative instincts. And yeah. more, like, like you said, in, in distinction to Rollins, you know, you, you'll sort of paint a picture where there's, where, there's, where there's stasis as well as dynamism like there's there's the thing that doesn't change in addition to the thing which which does and i what i would almost like to do here is 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 come in and be a little bit like dangerously liberal in in the arguments that i'm making so that you can push back against them because because i actually i don't i don't like being so liberal it's just in my modernist frame when i look at the bible i can't help but see um a bunch of outdated and stupid stuff um, yeah, you know, it's like so easy for me to agree with Dale Martin and say, oh, yeah, of course, Jesus talks too much in the Gospel of John. But, but, you know, I know. And the, the thing is, it's such a satanic move, too, because once you doubt a little bit of scripture, then, you know, it's, it's, um, uh, so one thing before I think what you're wanting to do, I think sounds like a lot of fun because I don't often get to play the conservative, but I, I do like, if you're in a close enough relationship with me, I definitely have very strong conservative impulses. Um, but most people think I'm the liberal, but what you just said is like something I want to just really stress and reiterate to people is people who were raised and largely within America 
within Protestantism, evangelicalism, because of our puritanical background, the spirit of American Christianity is very conservative. And so, um, yeah, there's liberal iterations of those, liberal, but like, but like I've said before many times, and Joey and I had a conversation about this a long time ago, they're not really liberal. They're, they're veiled conservatives with other values because they're hyper-conservative about these other values. They just have different values. I would argue all of America is very conservative. And what I think is wrong about the conservative cultural temperament, this, this milieu that we swim in culturally within this conservative religious tenor is that people are hyper afraid of, of doubt or liberalism or the slippery slope or the thing that is outside. People are very scared of the fringe within whatever tribal camp you want to put yourself in. But here is my constant retort to that. And because they'll be like, oh, the outside, whatever's outside is scary. And like, that'll deceive me. And I'm like, you don't think the devil can deceive you with like the inside? Like, <laughs> like you, you apparently don't think he's like the best deceiver of all time. Like, if you think you just have a clear understanding and you are like, you know how the devil's going to deceive you, you're already deceived, dumb, dumb. Like he's a better deceiver than you. He will deceive you with conservative impulses. So like, why, why don't you, in the same way that people are like so afraid of their doubt, and then this is where I love to bring in that Michael Polanyi quote of like doubt and belief are ultimately equivalent. Like doubt is just a deeper set of subterranean tacit belief in something else. But like, so doubt isn't unbelief. It's just a, it's just a belief that you can't articulate. But here's the thing is like, why, why don't you ever, there's just no impulse there's, or there's like a denial. There's like this cultic brainwashed denial that like, it's not okay. That like, it's just completely safe within the realm of these statements of faith that we've been handed. No, it's not. It's not safe there. You just think it is because it's familiar to you. And it's like, it's a, it's a really that is a very tricky deception that I think Satan uses all the time. Anyhow, sorry, that's a big aside to your project. Or to no, your that's opinion. no, that's 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 good. I mean, because you're just saying that that liberals are a kind of conservative, or really, what you're saying is they're very threatened by what they don't know or can't predict, or what they have consigned to the outside of their their value system or to the fringe of, of their sort of ideal order? I think both people do that within America. So like if you go to a conservative evangelical church, more of a, like a fundamentalist leaning one, they'll be like, you know, whether it's gay people or trans people or people that like, you know, read Richard Rohr or people that like read Richard Dawkins and that conversation Paul just released today with Michael. Um, he was saying like, there's all these fringe books, you know, that you're just like, you shouldn't read those guys. Like those guys are scary, but just like, you know, spoon feed me John Piper and John MacArthur all day. Cause like everything that's in there is automatically good. Why, <laughs> why, why is that just automatic? There's like this, it's a, it's this false appeal to authority or something. There's like, um, but you could, but you could do the same thing within a liberal camp, you know. So like, go to a super woke, affirming, flag flying LGBTQ church, 
and and then like their fringe are these conservative types that don't disagree with them and that's all bad that's all scary you know but why but and like everything that's within their little statements of faith are good and unquestioning why like they're all that's what i mean they're like they're all playing the same game yeah and, and in some level it's like in petersonian terms sin is not being adapted enough to be able to to move quickly from one extreme to the other the extreme of uh freedom the extreme of constraint scylla or charybdis you've got to be able to move back or forth quickly as as, as the environment requires and in some sense jesus is telling everyone you're you're too out of shape or or complacent or lazy or blind to be able to make this 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 athletic move um and that's that's where um you know your soul is in danger in some sense or or you or you, you um uh you know you you run the risk of okay so i i'm gonna have to take a i'm gonna have to take a quick break here okay i got you um, it? uh you can if you want i i gotta mute it anyway so we were just talking about how liberals who, who like to accuse conservatives of having um, a sort of paranoid or anxiety driven relationship to what they you know can't know and, and don't understand you know themselves often have this kind of pathological uh, uh, need for control uh, around you know what what, what uh, they uh, uh, you know can't predict uh, can't foreknow and, and, and which threatens their, their value system, even if it might be uh, the, the necessary thing to do or accept in order to revivify some, you know, stagnated order. Um, and, um, and yeah, you know, like that's sort of one way you can read Jesus in, in the New Testament is, is Jesus is, is not laying down some static set of principles but is instead you know critiquing the stasis represented by you know the, the pharisees it, you know and the sadducees on, on on two different extremes and and is offering not really rules but but more like a a, a meta rule set you know for for how you um you know uh revise and update the rules well uh, he's offering a person he's offering a body and, uh, I am the resurrection, the life. I am the door. It's not a, it's not I a am the light. Set. It's a person. Yeah. I am the true vine. That's why like, you can't, this is, here's the thing. Like even, this is the, very much the Jordan. I think it's all in line with us, but like Jordan Peterson, when he will refuse to give an answer on like, do you believe in a physical, literal, historical, critical resurrection? What, what Peterson is pushing back on is is this whole thing he's he's wrestling with god he's like i'm not gonna i'm not placing my faith in an isaac in a symbol in a literal resurrection G jesus said i am the resurrection you can't believe in a resurrection apart from the person of christ and and i think modernists like the modern conservative impulse is to is to conflate those two my idea about a physical historical bodied resurrection is the same thing as belief in the resurrection who is christ and those are not necessarily the same thing lately i've been 
I've been kind of running up against, um, you know, the idea that, you know, I was, I was talking about this idea with Sherry and um, I was saying one view is that on the cross, something objective and metaphysical happened. Um, you know, that, that faith in Jesus is, you know, uh, some kind of explicit propositional uh, belief in Jesus uh, uh, that uh, allows your sins to be transactionally removed or, or done away with. And then I offered what I thought was a kind of alternative, which is like, if there is a mechanism of the atonement that saves one from sin um, or, or from death, but you know we can perhaps substitute sin for death um, rather than the punishment for sin. So you know McDonald talked about how some people treat the punishment for sin as the death from which uh, we we should flee, and then others. Well, McDonald would have us think that that sin itself is you know that spiritual death is the perishing from which we should be running and that you know if you conceive what if you take as your theory of the atonement something like the moral exemplar theory like the the point of the point of jesus advent was in some way to set the the ultimate moral example and that we need to but the mechanism of a, of atonement is our is our emulating him Mm. Um, and, um, you know, that, uh, seems to me to, to, um, uh, to save us from sin in a, in a rather direct way, as opposed to the kind of transactional or technical view where, you know, Jesus dies on the cross and somehow that imputes his righteousness yeah. to you. Yeah. And, and, and in turn, you know, if you believe that he died on the cross for this purpose, that somehow results in your justly being spared the punishment for sin. It seems very arbitrary and disconnected. Well, but, but even that, even that is conflating belief or it's smuggling in that to believe means to just assent to abstractions. Yes, that's what I'm what I'm trying to trying to explore with you because it you know imagine rather than believing in Jesus abstractly, the point is to live him out or act him out. Or but it's even participate more participate in his body. Because you have to enter into his person and his body. Um which which um yeah, and, and you know, and I and I wonder that in connection with, you know who is saved and who can be saved. Um, because if you believe that faith in Jesus uh, is, you know, what it means to believe in Jesus is to hack them out essentially, then you understand that there are more people who can believe in Jesus than uh, just those who have explicitly heard of him. But then again, in scripture, it seems like the conservatives are on strong ground when they say uh, when they when they mention Paul's verses and he says there is no other name than Jesus under heaven by which uh, uh, we must be saved and you confess Christ uh, with the mouth and believe in your heart and you're saved and it sounds like the name 
and the confession by mouth are indispensable elements of salvation. Sure. Again, if they are, that raises the question why God seems uh, to set so much store by these things in the last analysis. But then again, you know, is so is this a case where our scripture is deficient? And that is really not true what Paul said, and that faith in Jesus is something which can, in theory, be independent of, 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 of knowing about him personally? Well, so in the final analysis, I don't think so, um, you know, because I think, you know, every, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Christ to the glory of God the Father. Like, I think that's going to happen. Um, and, and I do think that that is... <clears throat> a part a part of salvation there's there's a few things that like are being i think in, in the way that you're framing this and tell me if you're if, if i'm wrong but like there are these the iceberg of your framing there's these there's these things that are under the surface which would be like um this this physical death the death that we experience when we die that there is no like post-mortem conversion or theosification happening there is no more purification that happens after death it is just so like unless you confess with your mouth before you die then then that's it you know in this very binary way like that's the point um be, and, and people will quote i mean listen listen i have the all you conservatives that are quoting verses at me i have them in my head like i know the ones you're going to quote at me you know like for it is given to man once to die then comes judgment Hebrews 9, 27. right right or jesus but, like but the, the, the thing is what that actually says is so limited that i'm amazed that people use that yeah i know i mean you and i have had a lot of these conversations right. or even like i tell you the truth which you know there's no commas in greek but like jesus on the cross like i tell you the truth today you will be with me in paradise. You can say it two different ways. Like I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Or you can say, I tell you the truth today, you will be, you will be with me in paradise. That, that means totally different things. Healing solution uh, for conservatives. So uh, I mean, it's just- it's, The idea that Jesus had to spend three days in hell or whatever it was. Right, but it's just like, <laughs> it's, it's essentially yeah, bulverism. Oh, uh, 80s, excuse me. Yeah. Right. But like it's essentially bulverism. You're you're quoting, you're thinking in your head and quoting that text to me as if it proves your point. But you you're assuming you're right before you've even had the conversation. So like um, again, you're not participating in Philo Sophia and Dialogos. You're participating in Philo Nikea. So like that's not really talking. So you know I get what is it. Philo Nikea, love of victory. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like winning nike just do it you know it's it's okay. the control i mean it's mammon you cannot serve both god and mammon i think it's it's the difference between those and you can and you can think you're pursuing god but really be pursuing mammon this is this is how deception works and christ and antichrist like the only reason antichrist is deceptive is because it mimics and looks like christ so like in your pursuit of god you can actually be being deceived um which is why, like, whatever, you can be deceived, you know, back to the other point, you can be deceived on the outside or the inside. Um, but I lost my train of thought. What was I talking about to begin with? Well, I mean, you know, I'm going to keep steering if you let me. Do it. Yes, do it. it back to, um, uh, to, to like, the interpretation of scripture. Because, you know, part of me after listening to Cortman, 
wants to say, you know what, this is great. It's like, uh, like uh, the, the constraints are all undone and I can pretty much make, do whatever interpretation I wanna do. Now, of course, Peterson says, there's a functionally infinite number of interpretations that are available, but a, but a much more limited set of interpretations which are potentially workable. And, you know, and along this line in terms of like wanting to be able to interrogate scripture, but, but not with perfect liberal freedom to make it say anything that we want it to say, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, put in mind of um, a kind of beautiful imaginative dialogue that uh, Brad Jersak uh, writes in Her Gates Will Never Be Shut, an imagined conversation between him and Jesus regarding the true meaning of the um the parable of the what is it the, the, there was the rich, the rich man and lazarus mm. because in that parable um you know as as i mean the way that conservatives will interpret it is that this is a this puts a complete stop to any hope for uh post-mortem conversion yeah because um in the parable of the rich man and lazarus um, the rich man um, finds himself uh, in a in a rather uh, uh, lousy part of uh, Hades or Sheol, and he sees Lazarus, um, uh, who had a tough time in his earthly life, is now resting comfortably in the bosom of Abraham, which is like the the high rent part of uh, Sheol, and. Um, um, he sees him there and, and he said, well, uh, will, you, will you please send Lazarus to, and, and have him dip his finger in some water to cool my tongue? So even in, 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 with these roles reversed, the rich man is still conceiving Lazarus as somehow uh, uh, his servant. Um, and Abraham says that, you know, between uh, you and him, there's this unbridgeable gulf. And even if a man were bold enough to attempt it, you know, you can't, you can't cross it. Well, I think until the day of judgment, but I, but I, in, in sort of the conservative world, I, that last qualifier is taken away or, you know, it's assumed that, you know, the day of judgment is just the day when the deal is sealed and, you know, um, you're, you're tortured forever or annihilated or double annihilated or, or something they, they resurrect you to annihilate you again or right. uh, how, how, however, <laughs> however right. it works. Um, but I mean, Cortman, so again, it's like, you know, how many ways around do I, if I want to be liberal in my, in my interpretation of scripture, it's like, I have lots, I have plenty of ways around this, don't I? Like as, as Cortman points out that Jesus, Jesus uses different images when talking to different people. And rather than seeming to to offer them the correct image from on high, he he um, he he um, uh, eludes um, our our hopes of of certainty by by um, uh, just using whatever images his audience seem already to agree with or to accept. So, you know, Jesus isn't coming in with with the um, uh, the correct prescribed view as an antidote to their wrong views. He's just taking what may be their wrong views and using that as the basis for um, his his stories. Yeah, he's, and, he's interacting with them as if they're persons. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and that's, you know, that's because I've been thinking about that in relation to, to near death experiences. Um, if someone has a near death experience, and let's assume that the conservative version of Christianity is wrong, or the, the idea that it's this propositional transaction, and if I believe it, that you know my sins are covered and doesn't have anything necessarily to do with the with the the emulation of christ and actually dying to myself for sanctification or anything like that and anyone who doesn't take this deal is tortured forever um even if it's just because they never had the good fortune to hear about it if someone thinks that what that's what christianity is then they may reject it and then they might adopt like this whole this whole um uh, flaky new agey belief system instead and if that person has a near-death experience and God wants to speak to them in a powerful way, is he going to do so using the categories and concepts that they already accept as true? Or is he going to use Christian language, but also at the beginning, do some kind of nerdy explanation where, okay, look, Christianity is right, except this part and that part, but, but now I'm still going to use Christian language and you're going to understand that it's true. It's like something tells me maybe not yeah and so yeah so I've, I've been i've been thinking about that in, in sort of relation to to near-death experiences which um you know i mean some people want to use that as as, re as a revelatory basis rather mm -hmm. than scripture but, but right or god i mean they're contradictory and confused well and to push to push even further into that like that in near-death experiences god's going to use the things that you're used to but also like this, that you affirm is true right but you could even push further into that into a into a like oh i don't know what uh into like a, po a post intellectual kind of <clears throat> understanding of belief and faith because you could push a lot of conservatives in really extreme ways on this to be like what about aborted babies or mentally handicapped people or you know, someone with extreme autism or someone with, you know, whatever, someone who's, who was born essentially like a vegetable in their brain, they, they can't understand anything in an, in an articulable intellectual form about God whatsoever. So they can't participate in Christ. What, what are the criterions in which they participate in Christ? But fortunately, arbitrary, um, uh, Bible interpretation comes to the rescue. Let the little children come to me somehow means that in their case, they don't, they don't need to, uh, you know, have any kind of meaningful propositional faith for their sins to be covered. So every, somehow original sin doesn't apply in their case. Well, every, because we just know, because we just know that let the little children comes to me or whatever pro children, Jesus verses you want to find just, they just mean that. So just, so anyone anyone before the age of consent is just okay or like that's right an idealized age of, of reason slash moral responsibility which we happen to know on you know the authority of some theologian is, is well 12 years old exactly right well and and where do those where do those lines get drawn 12 years apparently and then yeah. like but which which degree of no but i i'm saying i agree with you i'm, I'm saying that's hope no i know i know yeah. but i'm just playing the game so like yeah. what what degree of mental capacity is is required for culpability and then really ultimately isn't all this just salvation by the right idea it, even if you take like a modernist objectivist facts-based propositional like 
there, there are such a thing as disembodied facts, which I actually don't think there are. I don't think facts exist. So take that. <laughs> um, but even if you take that approach, the, the, the amount of facts in the world, true, true things is infinite, truly infinite. So like at what quantity of the proper facts of infinity? I mean, it's just like, I was thinking about this this morning. I think, I think the reason to bring in Jess P and um, the U-shaped journey, I think what happened with me and why I ended up a mysticism is I think, I think within these conservative evangelical folds, I took propositionalism and this facts-based Christianity assenting to the right ideas. I followed the U-shaped journey all the way down. Like I took that all the way down and, and I, and it died and it, you know, and I killed it and trampling down death by death. I, I saw faith and belief that transcended this propositionalism on the other side of the U-shaped journey. I actually don't think that a lot of fundamentalist kind of people, both conservative and liberal, because they're all fundamentalist conservatives with just different values. I don't actually think they believe propositionalism as much as they pr profess to. I don't think they take it seriously enough, which is all of this, like, I don't know, which I feel like probably has some tie into this book. Um, and, and, and true wrestling with God, having to true faith, having to transcend your, like, you've, you've got to take, you, you maybe will have to take that obedience so far down that like, for you, you, you may be called to sacrifice Isaac. You know, I don't know. It's a, it's not a, what, what's so hard, I think, is trying to, I think people within Christianity, if Christianity truly is universal, and I mean, I'm not talking about salvation, but like Christ is universal, which we've had lots of conversations about like the nature of ontology, which I think Christ has to be universal for anything to exist. I mean, God has to be universal because nothing, everything is contingent. Nothing exists on its own. Every, everything that is, is in God. And, um, and so if, if all of that is true, um, ultimately like you're, you're not going to be able to, you can't conform everything. Everything needs to be conformed to the image of Christ, which is transcendent. And that doesn't mean it's relative. I'm not saying it's relative, but it doesn't have to be exactly everybody else's journey doesn't have to be your journey. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like you don't, I don't know, be careful you who judge um, and mercy triumphs over judgment. It sounds like, it sounds like if you say the logic of the Bible is universal, what it's, what it's saying is that the, the nature of existence and of ultimate reality itself, that it is just that the most precious thing will always have to be sacrificed for the sake of uh, the most precious thing, paradoxically. Um, and and um, it's like, uh, no matter who you are, whether you're a Christian or not, you're gonna be dragged down that road. Um, 
you're going to be made to pick up your cross and yeah. uh, follow Jesus. And the thing is, you might say, well, the only question is whether I'm going to do it willingly or unwillingly. So I try to do it willingly and it's just no easier. Um, do, you, do you see what I'm saying? Um, the I mean, love of death that I will have to face, it can't be mitigated. It, it can't be. Yeah, you actually have to die. And, 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 and by believing and obeying, I can't make the price that I will pay any less than what it would be if I didn't try, or maybe that's not the case. I mean, maybe I can sort of get it. Maybe, maybe it's sort of a debt that I can get started on, you know, whittling down. And then, you know, at the moment when I meet the cross, it'll be easier than if I hadn't done so, you know, that, that seems to be, that seems to be right. Um, uh, I don't know, I guess sometimes just ideas come into my head, but, but it also seems to me true that if I imagine that I, that I, that I can get it all squared away beforehand and then, and then, you know, the, the moment of my own crucifixion won't be painful. It will be easy. I think that's wrong because even for Jesus, it was, it was not easy. It was maximally painful. Well, I don't, I don't think that, well, true, you know, and if Christ suffered, I mean, the New Testament says that it's not like you're going to not suffer. And they said that he was um, perfected in his sufferings. Yeah. How do you make of that? Except perhaps with some kind of funky adoptionist Christology or, or um, Sam Adamsism or, you know, bi biblical Unitarianism, right? Well, no, I do. I think, I think that is like, no, I do too. I, I think you have to accept that he was God and he was also per perfected. <laughs> well, I mean, he was, he was man becoming God. Um, and I think he would, he was made fully real. The father and pre-existing his earthly incarnation and consubstantialum patris and all that. Well, I mean, do I need to light up the green wood for you? <laughs> no, I mean, I do think, I do think that Jesus was the particular incarnation of, of the logos in which all being exists. I do think Jesus was that, but I also think in his, and I mean, this probably gets into the early Christological debates of like that we've talked about of like myophysitism and diaphysitism and those like did was it one nature was it two natures divine and man and why that whole debate happened within um and I think a lot of that was really I mean I think that debate needed to happen again because it happened <laughs> but even now I think a lot of the like even the Oriental Orthodox Church and the Orthodox churches and, and Catholic churches are saying a lot of that was semantic in the in the understandings. And so it's basically that God put on flesh and then that flesh was being deified. I mean, he was deifying humanity um, in his being. And so... Um, it was his human was made. that was perfected. Yeah. But not necessarily his divine nature. Well, I mean, I mean, how can you perfect 
perfection. I mean, that's probably then, how can we how can we separate uh, those two natures if we're using some kind of model in which they're united? But well, I mean, it, I mean, that's, uh, that's probably, not that's not actually the orthodox model or the Western orthodox model. Well, I think in the East, the that's, that's the whole like energy essence distinction. Yeah. Well, for me, it's just like when you get into Jesus being God. Um, I think if your standard of scriptural interpretation is authorial intent, I'm not sure you can really conclude that Jesus is God the Son. I think all you can conclude is that he's the Son of God, whatever exactly that means. Well, that's that's saying uh, big push, being a biblical Unitarian. He's just like textually, like all of that is 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 extra biblical church stuff. And also the Bible came from the church, so. <laughs> right, and see what the, the, the move that I wanna make here, because Sam says, you know, basically, it's not really a legitimate interpretation using the same principles of hermeneutics that we would use elsewhere. Right. So I reject it, but I want to say, I accept that Jesus is God, um, that he is, God the Son, as well as the Son of God, and I want to reject the principles of hermeneutics because I think that I think that 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 idea of authorial intent. There's something that strikes me as is very wrong about it. Well, I um, think it's trying to get some kind of objective thing, but even that denies like the author was still a person too. That wasn't like. I don't know. I'm I'm doubtful that even even like the conscious authorial intent of let's say. I mean, I would say this. I mean, whatever. Chalk, get the greenwood out again, I guess. But I don't know that Paul, or I don't know that divine inspiration means that they fully apprehended the everything that they were doing and writing. I mean, I don't think that's just human experience in general. I don't. Um, a lot of times, and, and we say this, it's just like what you see in here depends a lot upon where you're standing. It also depends upon the kind of person you are. I don't, when I write something or I leave a box or I talk to you or I like re-listen to a conversation that I, it maybe I even had of myself, I'm just like, oh, I don't, I was saying things that I didn't even understand. And now I understand them more than I did before. And I'm sure that was happening with with the you know with the writers of the New Testament, and so like, so then what do you like authorial intent? What do you mean? Like by that, do you mean like authorial intent, like the author being God? <laughs> you know, like what are you? That's the thing. If God, if God is the author, then divining his intent is is um, easier said than done, and you know probably not ever determine it. I mean, it really gets down to like perspicuity, I think. Like perspicuity oh, yes. is stupid. The perspicuity <laughs> of scripture. Hey, what, what does perspicuity mean? Look it up. <laughs> clear. It's clear. It's clear. Look it up. It's clear. Yeah, yeah well, that, yeah, if it, if, yeah, if it were, then you wouldn't have to. But, but well, you know, you were saying something. Well, you were asking about, you know, intent. And sort of like, can we understand the principle of authorial intent as extending not only to the idea that an author had in mind, but to the implications of his ideas? Sure. I, 
And, and, you know, that's what the Catholics would say. Well, that's how we get the Trinity. But I would say, um, I, no, you can't. Can, can I intend something that I didn't realize was an implication of what I thought? Can I intend that as my meaning? Don't I have to consciously have it in mind? You know, but, but, but me, that's just because I'm a pain in the neck. I don't, I don't, I don't really play anyone's game. Um, and I don't say that as like any sort of point of pride. Um, it's just, it's just, um, uh, I, I can't, I can't look at any particular orthodoxy and see how, how it all makes sense from first principles. Um, well, you're an, you're just an equal opportunity critic. Yeah, kind of, kind of, um, boy. How do we want to close out the? Yeah, let, we can close it out early. Do, well, do we have to? Um, do you feel like all of this was related some in some way to to this book, wrestling with God? I think. Yeah, it really, I, I think it. I think it. I think it certainly was. Because I think at the end of the day, and I don't know. This is this is why, like the biblical metaphors. I guess this is probably the last thing I would say of like family or marriage or anything and i mean and this gets a I, I was leaving quite a few comments and leaving a bunch of boxes this morning listening to that pvk conversation with michael because i just it's becoming clearer and clearer for me that the nature of reality is personal and this gets a like relational ontology versus substance ontology and i and i don't think and that Viktor Frankl quote of like, I don't think you can know anything until you, or anyone until you love them. And I think that you and, and intrinsically everyone's relationship with God is personal and very specific to them. And you can't, no matter, no matter what, you you just you can't formalize it. You can't you can't overly structure it to because I think that's kind of what's going on in our modern culture. We see this, we see this increase of chaos, but to me, this is just like a yin yang thing. The the increasing, impending chaos flood that feels like it's coming is be, is become we've been pursuing hyper ordered knowing forever, and and it's killing us. And so the chaos is necessarily coming in. And so to me, it's very much like a, the C.S. Lewis quote of sometimes the best way forward is to go back and figure out where you went off trail, off the correct path. Um, I think it's back to like a recovery of what I would call iconic knowing and getting over. I mean, this is like it's getting over this kind of rationalist, propositionalist, you know, air quote belief. I think we need to sacrifice it and do a little bit more wrestling with God and just understand that these things aren't as clear as we maybe thought they were. And I mean, that's the same as, as any relationship, you know, yeah, like that's, that's definitely Cortman's message. Cause he's, he was saying faith is a knowing trust in someone. And that the idea that God would diverge from his own standards of behavior, his own stated or, or his own his own nature as you have come to know it in your you know faith walk uh that's a test of whether you have this relational faith this faith that is a is a is a 
trust in someone that comes from uh, a relationship uh, of, yeah. of, of knowing them. And um, uh, yeah, so that, that's certainly Cortman's, Cortman's message. Well, and I think we do that stuff all the time. Like Rollins will, Peter Rollins, pyrotheology guy, is it, he'll say that kind of stuff all the time. He'll like, you'll be in a relationship with a woman and you'll get into a fight and she'll just be screaming at you, get away from me. But what she's really saying, and she may not even be aware of this, what she may be saying, she might be saying, get away from me. But what she might be saying is like, prove to me you want to stay. Prove to me that in the midst of this fury, you won't leave. And, and like, you can't, you can never, you can't distill that and formalize that in a way that can be followed prescriptively by a law. You can't create a law book out of a relationship with a person. You just can't. And it's the same way with God. That, that in other words, the, 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 the idea is that, is that, is that the truth, it could, it could not have been encoded statically. No. In, 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 in a book. And so the, the, the proper hermeneutic is one which. Love. Yeah. Well, yeah. The proper hermeneutic is love. There you go, Jeff. There's a title. Yeah. Well, isn't, isn't that the hermeneutic of love? Isn't that one of the ideas that, that they were exploring in the, the podcast, or maybe that was a different podcast. Which one? But I, I don't recall, but it was being discussed in a kind of dismissive way. Like we've already seen the hermeneutic of love employed before. And, 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 and we saw the, the, um, uh, the contradictions or, or the impasses that, that, that led to. But I mean, I guess if it was, if it was, if God is love, you know, if the grain of it, ultimate reality is such that it, it always favors you know, and bends toward maximal love. Yeah, that hermeneutic shouldn't fail you, but if it does fail, then the 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 the, the reason maybe uh, should be should be assumed. You know, you should assume that if you failed, it was it was due to a a, a dearth of love or some. Yeah, it was count or counterfeit love, double speak love. And yeah, that, and that's the thing. Like, I think the conservative impulse is like love will be used for this slippery slope toward like something that's too nebulous but the reality is the way another way that i would frame it is real love true love christian love is the perfect it's the perfect balance of order and chaos or freedom and constraint it's the perfect balance of those things that's what real love is and that's not that's not just relativism or pure chaos it's not that it's not it's I guess in a sense it is nebulous, but it's have the any less stable. If you have the continuum of freedom and constraint, it's like the right point to fall on is the one that conduces to maximal love. And you might say, there's no way I can know which point that is. And that not puts, in a mammonistic way. Puts me in line of the verse uh, where Jesus says, her sins which are many are forgiven for she has loved much. In other words, that's what covers you is 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 is, is if love covers a multitude of sins right in other words if your intention was was right um then it doesn't matter whether you were wrong in practice or whether you had the wrong idea what's that verse that i think that was also in the liturgy this the, the time is coming when god will judge the the secrets of men like the um what is that verse dang it 
you're not enough of a you didn't you weren't raised enough of a biblicist to have all this stuff just no. it's hardcore in you no i'm just i'm just a pagan <laughs> um you know langan says that god tries to maximize utility and if you look at that from a utilitarian point of view then if pushing the fat man off the bridge will stop the train you should do it but i would say over the long longest of time frames that principle of ever using someone instrumentally in that way is is treacherous and that that if you're your principle over the longest of time frames is to do whatever is expedient or whatever, you know, maximizes the calculus as you rationally apprehend it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's the principle that's going to do you in. You have to, if, if your heart says, I can't do it, I just can't use someone as a means to an end in that way. Yeah. That's, that's what's being selected for in this, in this hell world, you know, that, that we live in. You, you can't get the idea that, that, that um, the point is, the 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 point is to be correct um it 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 in some way that that you 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 could never know you know the 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 point is to 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 just act on the purest motives of which you are capable that's 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 yeah with the with the recognition that you're that even you are not like the infallible arbiter of your motivations or intentions like that's where rollins comes back in because like you don't even know those so like and that's where the devil comes in too yeah you know you think you're acting from love but you know you're just you're just dog shit there's nothing good about you at all it's like your theology yeah yeah let's well i want to i just want to listen this is how much i'm still evangelical let's just close out with scripture okay okay So Romans 2, this was the verse that I was alluding to, but it's uh, Romans 2. I'm going to read, I'm going to close out with the verse I was thinking of, but I'll start to give context because we always want to give context. Maybe I should just read the whole book of Romans. Should we close by doing that? Yeah, well, no, we should close by preaching on it um, for for two years. (laughs) Right, there you go. Verse verse by verse. Oh, man. God bless you, John Piper. Um, I'll I'll, I'll say it. I think he is a saint. I love John Piper. I don't, I don't I, think he has to wait till he dies to 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 be accorded that status. I have disagreements with him, but I think he's great. I'm I'm incredibly thankful for him, for Richard Rohr, for Father John Bayer, for Krishna Das. Krishna Das? He's the one who said, like, you can't you can't think yourself out of a prison made of thought. Okay. Which I love anyhow let's go back to the bible let's close with the bible not krishna das that's safer right no fall back safer this is the bible okay for those who have sinned without the law will also will also perish without the law and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law for it is not the hearers of the law who are just before god but the doers of the law will be justified For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. It's a great verse. I like it.
I can't say, I mean, that's why I often say, you know, whatever, shout out Jacob, Jacob, our resident Jew on the discord, who just loves to rage against Paul for all the reasons he does. I, I mean, whatever, when I read St. Paul, I'm just like, this dude was at like the highest level of articulation of the most profound things I've ever heard apart from, I don't know, maybe some of the Psalms and Proverbs and Jesus himself. Like he just, nobody else was laying it down better than St. Paul. Oh, man, good stuff. Yeah, Should I stop? I'll stop. Yeah, I think, I think we 